you bless us now by your Spirit, through your Word, in Jesus' name. This was a dangerous apparatus. I'm glad these furnaces are no longer placed in new homes. Hot air would blow through a vent in the middle of the hallway. The metal grill covering the vent would get very, very hot. You could burn your feet if you stepped on the grate. My parents always cautioned my brother and I to slow down when we walked down the hall. They didn't want one of us falling on the furnace and burning ourselves. But I was a little boy, and it was Christmas morning, and I was so hyped up. I was fixated on the gifts under that tree, especially those with my name on them. And so I ran down the hall full throttle. The problem, though, is that I got careless, and I tripped, and I fell face first down toward the floor furnace. Thankfully, my hands caught my fall. I saved my face. But my palms were burned. In fact, you can even see some faint scars to this very day. If I had slowed down and thought it through and put Christmas in perspective, I could have kept my hands from that red-hot metal grate. A hands-off Christmas would have saved me from much, much pain. This Christmas, I want to keep you and your family from getting burned. There is an aspect of Christmas in America, Christmas as celebrated in Western culture, that needs to be hands-off to true followers of Jesus. Christmas tangibles, like money and presents and parties and shopping and decorations, in fact, any man-made tradition can rob us of the season's spiritual significance. What our hands grab can distract our hearts. Ironically, Christmas stuff can muffle the true Christmas spirit. Someone has pointed out that the same letters used to spell Santa also spell Satan. Same letters, just a different arrangement. That's why at Christmas, priorities are everything. Get your priorities out of whack and Satan will dilute your holiday of much of its meaning. We need to be careful to have a hands-off Christmas. In this morning's text, a would-be follower of Jesus approaches him and asks to join the cause. He even makes the boast, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. You get the impression that Jesus discerns there's something disingenuous about this person's motive. Perhaps the fellow saw Jesus' popularity and extrapolated where it might lead. If he stuck with Jesus, he could later share in his fame and fortune. I mean, maybe this man assumed that anybody with miracle-working power was bound to go places, and he wanted to make sure that he came along for the ride. Somehow, this man saw Jesus as a rainbow ending at a pot of gold. In Luke chapter 9, we're not told of this man's exact motive, but whatever it was, it gets challenged by Jesus. Our Lord bursts his bubble the bubble of this wannabe follower, by saying, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Apparently, this man saw Jesus as a ticket to the top, but Jesus wasn't headed that direction. Jesus says he doesn't even own a home. 
His name isn't even on a lease. If he had applied for a mortgage, his credit app would have kicked back for lack of activity. Foxes have dens. Birds have nests. Partridges, for some reason, stay in pear trees. And everybody knows there's reindeer stables at the North Pole. But Jesus had nowhere on earth that he called home. In essence, Jesus was challenging this prospective disciple. If your priority is to be somebody, go places in this world, you don't want to follow me. Remember, Jesus was born into a family that couldn't get a room at the Econo Lodge. Joseph and Mary ended up bedding down for the night in a cold, damp cave that belonged to cows and goats and chickens. Even later when this man comes to Jesus, though Jesus' ministry is now picking up steam, his preferred form of housing hasn't changed. Rather than condos, Jesus still prefers roadsides and campfires. When Jesus slept at night, rather than snuggle up with a pillow, he liked to rest his head on a rock so he could gaze to the heavens and think about home. Remember, Jesus was born in a cave. He was buried in a cave. And I would suggest he spent an awful lot of the in-between time in countryside and in shepherd's caves. By his own admission, Jesus stayed much of his ministry in whatever temporary housing he could find. If you had followed Jesus from the first Christmas to the first Easter, from his birth until three days after his death, you would have gotten the impression that this man was just passing through, that this world was not his home. Jesus was even buried in a borrowed tomb. Think of it. His grave was a weekend rental. In one sense, Jesus was very, very attached to planet Earth. There was nothing aloof or distant about him. He was not some disengaged individual. In fact, he was so attached to the human plight, Jesus allowed people to nail his hands and feet to a wooden cross. That's attached. Yet in another sense, he lived his life in a hands-off posture. Even though the world's prosperity was there for the taking, Jesus never flirted with fame or grabbed hold of wealth. Material success was never his goal. And the first Christmas was evidence. The eternal Son of God was the one person in human history that really could have picked his parents. He could have been born with a silver spoon in his mouth, born to a privileged family. Instead, he chose working-class kin from the rural region of Galilee, a family with no health care coverage or maternity benefits. Jesus was born in the squalor of poverty. Of course, the skeptics could say, wait a minute. Jesus did receive those expensive gifts from the wise men, the gold and frankincense and myrrh. That's a nice start to a 401k. But you fail to remember these gifts were the currency Joseph used to finance his family's emergency trip to Egypt. After the visit of the Magi, Herod ordered the killing of the babies in Bethlehem. Suddenly, the holy family became refugees on the run, and that little bit of gold and spice they received paid the cost for their exodus. You could say this of Jesus. He was never in it for the money. Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man 
has nowhere to lay his head. The attraction of Jesus was that he was in touch with heaven and heaven was evident in him. As we spoke last week, the eternal, almighty God was hands-on in his dealings with humans and with human need through this man, Jesus of Nazareth. But following Jesus also involved a hands-off approach to material treasure and to worldly measures and to sinful pleasures. Jesus challenged this wannabe disciple, was he willing to live without earthly security? Was fellowship with the Savior and a heavenly inheritance enough to satisfy this man's heart? Could he live with his hands off the things of this world and his heart open to God? Can you and I live this way? After she turned 90, Grandma found it too difficult to shop for Christmas. She was 90 years old. She was no longer up to drives to the mall, and she lacked the energy to battle the crowds. And she felt out of touch with the items and the brands that her kids and grandkids considered cool. She no longer chose the good stuff. Her gifts were now failing to produce the wow factor. So one Christmas, this grandma approached her gift-giving differently. She sent out Christmas cards to everyone on her shopping list, and she inserted a check into the card. Her kids and grandkids, her nephews and nieces could shop for themselves and purchase a gift that they would really enjoy. And inside each car, grandma wrote, buy your own present. Grandma even mailed the Christmas cards early that year. Well, this first year she tried this, grandma thoroughly enjoyed her Christmas. Without all the typical shopping hassles, her celebration was more relaxed. It was more uncluttered. She sailed through the holidays and enjoyed the time with her family. But when Christmas was over, she was cleaning her desk when suddenly she was struck with horror. For under a stack of papers, she found the checks. (laughs) The gifts that she had forgotten to insert into the Christmas cards. Grandma had sent out the message to her family Buy your own present (laughs) without sending along any money. Her family thought they now had a grandma with an attitude. Well, let me say to you up front, I don't have an attitude. I don't. I'm not against giving and exchanging Christmas gifts. A hands-off Christmas isn't a campaign against shopping or an assault on poor Santa Claus. My name isn't Pastor Scrooge. Just like you, I like to unwrap Christmas presents on Christmas morning. But here's my assertion, and I think you'd agree, Christmas should be about more than giving gifts. Don't you agree with that? Ask yourself this question. What would your Christmas celebration look like if this year the custom of exchanging gifts didn't exist? What would be left of your Christmas? How would Christmas look different? Let's just pretend. Let's play the what-if game. What if this Christmas there were no gift lists and bargain hunting? No Black Friday shopping? No late-night gift wrapping sessions? No kids' letters to Santa Claus? No Christmas mornings around the tree reading names off labels and passing out presents? 
We all enjoy giving gifts to folks we love. But what if this year that custom and all that goes with it simply disappeared? If presents were no longer present, how much of your Christmas celebration would remain? Would your Christmas season be gutted or barely affected? If thoroughly gutted were a 10 and barely affected were a 1, where would your Christmas rank? Again, let me reiterate, this sermon is not an attack on gift giving. I am not the Grinch trying to steal Christmas. In fact, if you've gone ahead and purchased a nice gift for your pastor this year, there is surely no need to take it back. That's a much appreciated thing you've done there. I say go ahead and bless your pastor. I believe gift giving is a legitimate part of a Merry Christmas. How can we celebrate God's greatest gift to humankind, the gift of His only Son, Jesus, without wanting to give gifts to the people we love? Even the wise men responded to God's gift by giving gifts. Gift giving is a wonderful practice, but gift giving can be like kudzu. And if you're from the South, you're familiar with kudzu. It's that leafy vine that has taken over thousands of acres. Did you know it covers 7 million southern acres? Kudzu is native to Japan and China, but the southern climate is perfect for its growth. In the summer, a kudzu vine can grow a foot a day. Kudzu can grow 60 feet a year. It'll cover trees and power poles and cars and sheds and even houses. This is why Southerners close their windows at night, to keep out the invading kudzu. (laughs) The spread of the kudzu plant is almost impossible to curtail. Scientists have found one weed killer that actually accelerates its growth. All the others have no effect at all. In fact, to kill the weed, the Alabama branch of the U.S. Forest Service recommends repeated herbicide treatments for up to 10 years, a whole decade. My point is, kudzu tends to overwhelm everything else. And so can gift giving at Christmas time. The practice can be all-consuming. For the children who open the gifts... And for the parents who buy and wrap and charge and eventually pay for those gifts. Most Americans spend at Christmas time the way the New York Yankees establish their roster for the next baseball season. They spend with no restraint. According to the National Retail Federation, it's estimated that in 2018, the average U.S. citizen will spend $885 on Christmas gifts. And most of the bill will be paid with credit cards. It takes the average American five months to pay off their Christmas debt. Every year we go from jingle bells to juggling bills. That's why I encourage young couples especially to think through how they want to celebrate Christmas while the kids are still tots, before habits get formed. A couple of Christmases ago, I asked a little boy in our church, probably your son, in fact, 
if he expected to get anything for Christmas. He said, yes, I think so. I asked him if he'd give me his presents. After mulling it over for a second, he said, only the clothes. <laughs> Doesn't take long for a child to figure out the most coveted gifts. Expectations form quickly. And changing those expectations are as difficult as killing kudzu. Here's my point. Our obsession with the perfect gift or enough gifts can overshadow all the other aspects of our Christmas. It overwhelms not just my finances, but more importantly, my focus. The mall, not the manger, becomes the center. We buy when we could bless. We shop when we could sing. We rap when we could worship. We hurry up when we could slow it down. We think when we could thank. We price when we could pray. We ponder gifts when we could praise God. We picture what we're getting when what we could be doing is praising God for what we've gotten. It's tragic indeed. A need for funds can even drown out a love for friends. In 2008, an employee at the Long Island, New York, Walmart, Demitai Demur, was trampled by a Black Friday crowd of shoppers. A mob of frenzied buyers tore the door of the store off its hinges and bum-rushed the employee. Police officers who tried to administer CPR on Jumate were stepped on by the crowd. It was brutal. Early that morning, 2,000 shoppers had gathered outside in the pre-dawn darkness. As the clock ticked down to the 5 a.m. opening, the crowd started to chant, push the doors in, push the doors in. One witness said the shoppers acted like savages. Later, when, later, when buyers were told to leave the store that an employee had died, the witness reported they just kept shopping. Imagine a man was trampled to death by shoppers so they could save $20 on a flat screen TV. But this is just one episode that happens every year. I heard of a 60-year-old Kentucky woman who was trampled by a rush of crazed shoppers. She suffered a black eye, bruises, a few broken ribs. She went shopping for a good deal. Afterwards, she was in a good deal of pain. Folks get carried away. The daughter of the Kentucky victim made the comment, I've always heard people get kind of hateful and nasty during these times. To think they would push and shove to buy something is really incredible. And yet people have been pushing and shoving Jesus out of his own holiday for a long time now. If we're not careful, a simple loss of perspective can cause us to trample on the real reason for the season. Hey, Christmas kudzu can grow over everything. Courtesy and decency and respect and kindness and even Jesus. It's sad. We celebrate the birth of the man who said, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. By decorating our houses with expensive ornaments, and by showcasing a cavalcade of presents under our tree. Again, I'm not against gift giving and holiday cheer. 
Yet in the midst of all the Christmas music and mirth and materialism, I feel the need to be the lone voice in the wilderness crying out to us all to beware of the consumerism that can choke out Christmas and its true meaning. Reminds me of the Christmas play at the elementary school. To show the radiance of the newborn babe, a light bulb was installed in the manger. The rest of the stage was dark to emphasize the brightness of Jesus. But the kid controlling the lights got confused. When the time came he killed the sta- to kill the stage lights, everything went black, including the bulb in the manger. After a few seconds, one of the shepherds shouted to the stagehand, Hey, you switched off Jesus. And here's my word to you. Don't switch off Jesus. A hands-off approach to Christmas allows Jesus to shine brightly throughout the holiday. Christians at Christmas should be more spiritual than commercial. Well, with the time I have left, I want to give you three words that I think can help you and your family celebrate a hands-off Christmas this holiday season. Here are three words full of important instruction. Moderation magnification, and manifestation. First is a word that's used so seldom today, most of us have probably forgotten its definition. It's the term moderation. The word moderation means restraint or temperance, to keep within reasonable limits. I'm afraid moderation is a lost art in today's society. Everywhere you look, people today are pushing the limits. We live in an extreme culture. Folks are into indulging desires and stretching boundaries and ignoring taboos. I'm sure in the modern vocabulary, the term splurge gets used far more often than does moderation. Today we have X games and extreme makeovers. The idea of person living within limits is anathema. Talk show host Jay Leno used to have a segment on The Tonight Show where he read humorous headlines from various advertisements. Here's an ad that a dentist ran during the holiday, during the Christmas holidays. It read, After all, the gift of chewing is what the holidays are all about. Even a sarcastic Leno scoffed, That's right, Christmas is not about helping people less fortunate. It's about chewing. And yet, sadly, for many people, Christmas is about consuming as much as is possible. Here's a cartoon with a contemporary message. A couple happens to be Christmas shopping at the electronics warehouse when the man tells his wife, I think what we really need is a splurge protector. Think of it. Could the key to a truly merry Christmas be a moderate approach? Rather than grabbing all we can with our hands, could it be keeping our hands off? Showing restraint with our hands can be a way of enlarging our hearts. You know, the one place in our English Bible where the word moderation occurs is in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. It appears during Paul's instructions to Christian women. He says it's God's desire that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness 
with good works. In short, Christian women should dress mod, but modest. As the old saying goes, and what I used to teach my daughter, modest is hottest. Christians should adorn themselves with moderation, Paul says. In other words, rather than come across flashy or gaudy, a virtuous woman should highlight her inner beauty, her good works and godliness. There's nothing wrong with a woman dressing fashionably. She can use makeup and sport hip clothes. She just shouldn't go overboard. Godliness is an affront to godliness, Paul is saying. A woman who follows Jesus will emphasize the content of her heart. And what applies to Christian women even more so applies to the bride of Christ, the church at large. It's okay for us to hang some decorations and to give a few gifts and have a pretty tree, as long as we realize that what God examines is the inside, that He measures our hearts. Go ahead and participate in the outward peripheries. Have a ball at the mall if you want. But hey, you'll please God only if you show some moderation and show restraint. Wrap up some presents, just don't get wrapped up in it. In fact, you can't really celebrate Christmas under the tree until you first celebrated it in your heart. The human heart is today's manger. It's your heart, it's my heart, where the life of Jesus is born again all over in this world. Well, the second word I want to give to you that will help you keep a hands-off Christmas is magnification. Magnify Jesus this Christmas season. I once heard a pastor discussing our responsibility to magnify and minify. He said we need to magnify Jesus and we need to minify ourselves. At first, I didn't think minify or minification was even a word. But it is. It's an IT term. Minification is the process of removing unnecessary code or redundant data without affecting how the program functions. It's stripping away all the add-ons and the cookies and the formatting that attaches over time. And this is what needs to happen to Christmas. We should minify or strip away the unnecessary and return to what the season is about. I think every Christmas we need to go through that process. As the pastor said, we need to magnify Jesus and minify everything else. This is what John the Baptist told us when he said of Jesus, He must increase, but I must decrease. And from that point onward in Jesus' ministry, Jesus was magnified or increased in importance, and John was minified or scaled back. John's concerns became redundant code. This should be the case with Christmas. Increasingly so. We should be about getting Jesus out in front and keeping ourselves in the background. Magnify Him, minify me. You know, if the truth were known, a lot of our gift giving isn't about the recipient anyway, as much as it is about us, the giver. You know, at times we give and how much we give becomes a source of personal pride. We all like to give presents that impress Who doesn't like to give a gift and then hear the recipient say, Wow, we end up the hero. 
so easy for our motivations to get cloudy at Christmas time, even with our kids and our grandkids. We base our shopping not on what we can afford to give or even want to give. Often we're governed by the fear of looking cheap. What if their friends get more than they do? Oh, God forbid. Or what if the other grandparents outgive us? We can't let that happen. Let's go in debt. Shady motives can dictate our giving. We all need to be reminded that Christmas is really about magnifying Jesus and minifying ourselves. If your goal is to be the star at Christmas, then recall that the star is what God used to point the wise men to Jesus. Real stars point people to Jesus. I'm afraid in too many Christian homes, jolly old Saint Nick gets more stage time than the Savior. You know, the real Saint Nick would be appalled at what's happened. The historical Nicholas was born in 280 A.D. The man lived a life of sacrifice and generosity and faithfulness. For a time, the Roman emperor Diocletian imprisoned Nicholas for his faith in his Lord Jesus. Stories abound of Nicholas's compassion toward the poor. He would disguise himself and he would slip into the city to give gifts to poor kids. When he died in 314 A.D., he had given away everything that his rich parents had left him. There is a reason more churches in the world are named after St. Nicholas than any other person. The original St. Nick magnified Jesus and minified himself. Isn't it odd that modern authors have tried the reverse? They magnify St. Nicholas and they minify Jesus. The poet Clement Moore gave Nicholas a red nose and eight reindeer. Illustrator Thomas Nass drew him big and fat and dressed him in a red suit. Others have given him funny names like Kris Kringle and Santa Claus. They even ascribe to him attributes that belong only to God. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows if you've been bad or good. Trust me, the real St. Nicholas would never tolerate what they've done to him. His whole life was spent magnifying his Lord Jesus. This Christmas, why don't we minify the trimmings of our Christmas and magnify the Savior who was laid in the manger? Well, the last word that I'll give you to help us with a hands-off Christmas is a theological term, manifestation. A manifestation is a spiritual unveiling. It's God's revelation. And the First Christmas was full of supernatural manifestations. An angel visited Mary. An angel appeared to Joseph. A heavenly host of angels proclaimed the birth of Jesus to the shepherds. Again, an angel warned Joseph to flee to Egypt. And God even hung a star in the sky as a signal to the eastern magi. The first Christmas was a massive unveiling. It was an unprecedented rollout of divine revelation. The first Christmas, and in a sense, every Christmas since, is about God in heaven leaning over the rail of His heavenly ship, watching a lost humanity drown in an ocean of sin. And He can't just watch us. He dives into the choppy, icy waters, wearing no life preserver. He came the first time in full human form, in skin-tight humanity. And through this man, his son Jesus, God has spent the last 2,000 years 
plucking people out of the surf. You see, Christmas is all about God's intervention in human affairs. It's about a God who refused to sit on the sidelines. A God who involves himself in our world, even in our lives. His Christmas title, Emmanuel, it means God with us. For the shepherds and wise men, for Joseph and Simeon and Anna, Christmas was about meeting God up close and personal. And I believe God still reveals himself to folks who love him and desire to know him and take time to seek him, especially at Christmas time. For the young girl Mary, Christmas was about meeting God in a most unusual way. The Spirit of God overshadowed her and birthed His Son in her virgin womb. Perhaps God wants to hover over you this Christmas to warm your heart or to empower your soul or to renew your mind or to heal a wound or to ease your pain. What if God wanted to meet you in a very special way this Christmas? Would your hands be busy with other stuff? With busy stuff? Would your hands be wrapped up with wrapping or whatever? So much so that you'd forfeit His manifestation? Hey, imagine missing out on God Himself because of a half-price sale at Walmart. God revealed Himself in the person of Jesus. And today, Jesus lives to unveil God to eyes of faith. Christmas is about new possibilities. Listen to the poem by this unknown author. He says, More light than we can learn, more wealth than we can treasure, more love than we can earn, more peace than we can measure, because one child is born. A child was born, and with him, new God possibilities begin. A new world opens up to those who follow Jesus. Well, here's how you handle Christmas you keep your hands off, hands off the other stuff, and you focus on Him. And you remember three words, moderation, magnification, and manifestation. Moderation, show some restraint this Christmas. Live within your limits. You'll find those limits more protective than punitive. Don't set bad precedents and get sucked into an emphasis you'll regret. Christmas is far more a holy day then it is just a holiday. Magnification. Magnify Jesus and minify everything else. Where are your eyes fixed this Christmas? Like the star in the east, this Christmas, be a light that points people to Jesus. And manifestation. True Christmas celebration is in the heart, for it is there that we meet Jesus. And He wants to reveal Himself to you this Christmas let God turn your heart into a manger and meet Jesus in a fresh way. Here's my suggestion. If you want this year to be you and your family's best Christmas ever, hands down, then why don't you make it more of a hands-off Christmas?